Hi, my name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually-minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. Hey, everybody, it's Leo WT here. I'm coming at you with a special edition of Conversations. Uh, pretty soon, Cupid's going to fly behind me and shoot some arrows and stuff. But uh, I'm actually here recording a Valentine's Day episode, and I absolutely loathe thematic episodes. But really what this episode is, is a pre-recorded episode so I can take my hot wife on a date on Valentine's Day. And L Dowd has been so gracious as to oblige me and my ridiculousness thus far. So um, in case you don't know what Conversations is uh, or who I am, my name is Leo WT. I'm the facilitator and co-founder or just founder, co-founder made it sound more important though, of uh, Conversations, which is an intentional, spiritually minded dialogue. Uh, we're endeavoring to meet regularly and to dive into intentional, spiritual minded conversations. Uh, throw out what you thought of the term spiritual meant, because we're literally just here to talk about things that are not tangible, things that are other than. We're here to think about, uh, take, an, take an idea, right, and flip it on its face and think about it from a different way. And so as part of that, I have just been literally throwing Hail Marys out at people who I think are cool on social media. And, uh, and and some of them have said yes. And so today we have Elle Dowd with us. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but all I'm going to say precursory um, to her coming on is that she's the bomb. She's got a book coming out. We're going to talk about that. And she's just kind of a badass female, which I feel like we need more of that content in the spiritual world. So if you want to give us a, a little introduction to yourself, friend, that would be fantastic. Yeah, my name is Elle. I use pronouns like she and her. I am an author, um, like Leo mentioned, my book, Baptizing in Tear Gas, From White Moderate to Abolitionist is available for pre-order now if you're interested. Um, I'm also a community organizer. I'm on the board of a, a power organization known as SOUL, which is Southsiders Organized for Unity and Liberation here in Chicago. And I'm also a candidate for ministry in the ELCA. So, oh. Uh, waiting for call, pastor call right now. Oh, that's exciting. So yeah, that's kind of like, um, you know, what I do professional life-wise. And then <laughs> my family is, I have two teenagers and um, a spouse and a dog and just, you know, it's pandemic life. So we just like hang out. So yes, all the time. Yes, all the time. <laughs> all, the all the time said with eyes wide open, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm really lucky though, because I have like literally the best kids. So it's like, you know, it's still, I still wish we had more of our own time and mm -hmm other activities and stuff. But as far as people to be trapped with, they're like, you know, the best people to be trapped with. There could be worse, right? You yeah. know what, I, what always strikes me too, is I'm a, I'm a parent as well. Um, I'm a parent of five, which is like wild, because I always thought yeah. I was gonna have like one or two. But then I met my wife, Elle, not the same Elle, for those of you who are confused, yeah. but I met my, my, my wife, Elle, and, and she's just a total babe. Um, and for as beautiful as she is physically, she's 100 more times beautiful internally. Uh, her mind, her heart, her spirit, all these things that you, you just don't find a beautiful brown spiritual lesbian artist in only on new york and so i was like i better i gotta get on this you know like put on my big kid pants and um and get my parenting game on but let me tell you i got four teenagers down one to go none dead but this last one is really trying me <laughs> oh, no. oh no so are you looking for just out of my own curiosity are you looking towards uh like parish ministry like being in a specific church so if i were to um you know say like what my dream situation would be right mm -hmm. so it's not um even though sometimes you know i wish the world revolved around me it doesn't so this is like if i lived in a vacuum and there were no other um you know forces sort of like it's not a guarantee i would get something like this right yeah. but um, I would love to um, be, yes, a pastor of a parish or congregation, um, but probably not full-time. I'm okay. looking for part-time so that I can continue 
Um, I applied for PhD programs and continue working towards that. And so that I can, can continue doing um, some of like the writing and speaking that I do. And hopefully, you know, um, the ideal sort of like parish congregation would be a congregation that's interested in public witness and community organizing mm -hmm. um, and would be looking for someone to sort of like be in that together. Like my ideal community would be like a small group of folks that's just like really committed to each other and really uh, rooted in the community that we're in. So I like that. I like I'm looking that. For. Yeah. yeah, I'll look, I'll, I'll jump on a second with that. Like if you find two of them, like, you know, do yeah. you, do, do they have a sister, right? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, right. I, I'm very much drawn to the community organizing aspect of it. And also like, I've always felt like I was going to write a book. So there are things that are going to come up for me. I'm sure we'll see. Um, I kind of feel like I don't necessarily feel tied to wanting to be in one parish, but I feel very uh, scholarly intrigued by the idea of what does the what does the the next generation of the church look like? Because I've seen the past generation, and I think a lot of the tensions that we feel in society are like, well, this is what we've always done, and then people are like, well, it's not fucking working. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I want to be on that vanguard of that. I think, uh, and that's like the artist and creative in me is like, what could we do if we saw this? If we saw the pandemic? If we saw digital communities like if we saw them as like a divine way forward instead of a satanic stumbling block or right. something you know? right so. yeah I think too for me um so I do a lot of like public work right like mm -hmm. like this is an example like interviews or panels or workshops or speaking mm -hmm. or whatever um and so sometimes people are like well why do you want to be in a parish like that seems um counterintuitive mm -hmm. and for me I'm like um, I think of like a parish or it doesn't have to be a parish, but some sort of intentional gathered community that's committed to one another that gathers around shared values mm -hmm. um, or shared story. Um, I think of that kind of community as really like the incubator for anything else, right? Like that's yeah. where we try the things. That's where we do the creative stuff. Yeah. That's where we like, you know, explore God together. That's where we like reflect on how it went. And then the lessons that I learned from, you know, these, these people, these communities then if they if they feel more widely applicable then i like share about that yeah you they know? take so, them and you propagate right yeah so yeah. it's like um because interestingly like on this on the one hand every community and context is so different there's like mm -hmm. different personalities like different stuff going on and yet like i'm really finding that um a lot of the core messages or learnings tend to resonate like across contexts and so it mm -hmm. um i talk a lot about how like you know jesus would like go have these like private conversations, but kind of publicly, like he'd be like preaching um, to his disciples, but then there's like people around. And like, yeah. I kind of think of that, like, I don't know, like Twitter or something like me and my folks, my like community are having this conversation, but there's like maybe other people listening in on it. Yeah. And then maybe they're going to riff in their own community on what that means for them. So absolutely. Yeah. There's some sort of like universal practicality uh, just last week on the podcast, um, which will be about like about a couple of weeks ago by the time this airs but i spoke to my friend sally who actually grew up in the mennonite tradition uh not conservative mennonite people thought i was going to be bringing on someone who was going to sell them donuts and lumber goods and, and and puppies but no she's she's like not like conservative uh mennonite she's like a more uh, progressive or modern mennonite but one of their focuses is is so intently on community that she honestly had trouble with understanding the idea of a, a personal relationship with jesus and i was like whoa that's like a cool uh that's a cool switch up for me because I grew up in an evangelical church that's like personal relationship and I'm like yo but it's like it's like God it's like divinity like why are we so exclusionary you know so. right well and it's um you know I know some really rad Mennonites I met some in in Ferguson during the mm -hmm. uprising and I met um I work I worked for a while with a Mennonite and okay. um great people great people yeah but I think there's something about that too they're like huge community focus that's so countercultural and this individualistic hyper-capitalist society that we find ourselves in where it's all, you know, rugged individualism and I pull mm -hmm. myself up by my bootstraps. Protestant work ethic right there, I'm right? I'm self-reliant and I'm independent. And it's like, well, first of all, that's a lie. That's not true. Every, we all need each other. Absolutely. Um, but the the people who are honest about that and then really try to lean into that, like, so that's really countercultural. And I think, um, you know, in my read of scripture, really scriptural and um, yeah. good, godly. Yeah. So Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, I think there's uh, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, gaining a better insight in in my in my seminary journey and and 
you know, fingers crossed in my PhD candidacy would be that sort of uh, the importance of community. Cause like, you know, not to get, we have, we have a whole nother topic, but I just have to throw this out there. But like in, uh, in the Bible where, you know, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus friends take off Lazarus grave cloths, right? Like there's to some extent we need community, right? Like Lazarus couldn't do that for Lazarus self, you know? I literally wrote a children's, um, so I have this, this curriculum that I wrote that's uh, introducing elementary age children to queer theology and queer, queer biblical interpretation through well-known Bible verses. Yeah. And, Bible and that was one of them was the, um, and we have this little activity where we have like cloths tied on each other and we like, you know. That sounds like, fantastic. Can I come um, to your children's ministry? Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, if anyone wants it, reach out to me and I can like, um, you know, it's been tested in some ways, um, like in person, but then now we're all online, but some of it's been, a, I've, I've adapted I like some it. Of it online. So cool. I feel like willing to sell that to folks or experience. For sure. Yeah, we'll drop them. Um, at the end, I'll have you give a recap of how folks can get in touch with you. And then I'll put it in the YouTube caption on the Facebook video. And then also in the show notes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll make that happen. So Great. that's dope. I love that you wrote about that. It's something I actually remember preaching a sermon on that when I was like, you know, 12. Because evangelicals do that shit. They'll be like, you're 12. You can preach. Go ahead. Uh, but Which weirdly enough. Cool, actually. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, weirdly enough, I was like, yeah, I'm 12. Let's preach about this. So uh, but maybe my understanding has evolved or maybe I've lived into a deepening of it, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. So, but so for those, for those who are watching and uh, um, I'm going to kind of clue them in on what we chatted about ahead of time. But one of the reasons, uh, as you well know, that I, that I hit you up is because I kind of wanted to talk about this, you know, it's Valentine's day, like uh, insert Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. I didn't pay for the rights to that song, so I can't really put it in here, but, um, <laughs> but like, I wanted to talk about this idea of sort of sex and relationships in an era of progressive um, sociology, progressive psychology, progressive theology, right? Because we, America is steeped in Puritanism. We're steeped in evangelicalism. We have sexual dysfunction out the wazoo because of these things. We don't talk about them and that causes problems. And I think what you're seeing is, I think what we're seeing, right, is as we move from sort of like, okay boomer generation which i know the phrase is like limiting and negative but we're moving from a baby boomer generation or as i would more accurately call it a, a modern a modern generation to a more postmodern generation right and i think that our understanding of sexual ethic as a culture needs to evolve because abstinence only as a political or social strategy does not work. We know this, we've seen the research that says in cities where they promote or in, in, in communities where they promote, um, they promote sexual education, like health education, and where they offer abortions when needed, the actual abortion rate goes down. Mm -hmm. So we know that we've got something, well, some of us have our head buried in the sands, evangelicals, but we know that there's a link, right, between an ability to talk effectively about sex and relationships and a better functioning of those in society. And so I would love to, I know that's super broad and people write theses on this and they write whole books on this, but I would love to get your take because you are like a, you are an activist, progressive feminist who has a grounding in liturgy and has, you know, professional study under her belt. Yeah. What do you think that that kind of this evolving understanding of sexual ethic needs to be? Or what do you see developing? What do you feel for yourself? How does that function? Um, I know you do speak. I have read that you speak of your orientation. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we can talk in terms of that. Um, so yeah. however you want to start off that conversation. Yeah, well, I'll start off telling um, like a quick story um, from when I was growing up. So I was... Um, like rewind, I'm 13 years old, I'm in youth group, right? I, I'm in Des Moines, a suburb of Des Moines, Iowa, pretty white, pretty, um, very conservative church. Mm -hmm. And um, we're in youth group and we're sitting around in a circle and uh, we're each given a Hershey's kiss, right? Mm -hmm. So many of you, maybe some of you who are listening to this are like, oh no, you know it's coming. But <laughs> uh, so then our youth leader is like, look at the Hershey's kiss. And we're like, okay. And then um, we're supposed to pass it on. And then the youth leader is like, okay, now like smell the Hershey's kiss. And we're like, I guess. And then we like pass it on. And they're like, okay, like unwrap it a little bit. And we're like, okay, you know, <laughs> um, and pass it on. And eventually it's like, you know, this um, Hershey's kiss is like naked, right? And um, they're like, okay, now, you know, like you can eat it. And everyone's like, ew, gross, disgusting. Everyone's been touching it and smelling it and blah, blah, blah. 
And, you know, the message was, yeah, um, if you have sex um, before marriage, then that's you. You're used and disgusting and no one will want you. Um, and that's harmful for many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the one I'm about to name, but um, in my life at the time, I was being sexually abused. Oh, wow. And so the message that I got loud and clear was, uh, there's something wrong with me and I'm disposable. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe even louder and clearer was the church is not a safe place for me mm -hmm. to get help about mm -hmm. this. Like mm -hmm. this, the church is not somewhere I can go and say like, this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, because then everyone will know that I'm, you know, dirty, disgusting and wrong. And so I tell yeah. that story to like, to like root in like my own kind of experience of this. Like mm -hmm. we, you know, we might talk a little bit abstractly about purity culture or right. I don't know, queer theory or something. I'm bisexual. Yeah. I think you mentioned yeah. that. Um, but it's like, when we say it's harmful, it's not just like harmful, like bad thoughts. It's like, there are real implications for real people. And I'm one of them, you know, yes. I was one of them, little 13 year old me. So I think, um, something that's, that's really important is that a lot of us, at least, um, you know, maybe on the more progressive side of spirituality have decided purity culture, bad, right? Like we can yep. hear that story and be like, that's bad. Right. Yep. There's like some circles that, um, you know, maybe they don't feel that way yet, but but for those of us in progressive, you know, Christianity or progressive spirituality, we're like, that's bad. Yeah. Um, but then what ends up happening is there's this kind of like vacuum, right? So mm -hmm. like purity culture, which is very structured, right? There's a lot of rules. It's very like all or nothing, black and white. The lines are clear. You do not cross them. Yep. So like the rules are really clear, right? Mm -hmm. In purity culture, um, even if they're like applied, you know, uh, unfairly or not equitably, but like the rules, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, they're the rules. <laughs> the rules are clear. Um, and so then when we're like, okay, we're throwing out that rule book because it's trash, which true it is. Um, what we're left with many times in progressive spaces is this vacuum of like, okay, we threw out the rule book and what next? <laughs> now what? Yeah. Um, and so one thing I try to think about is this former way of thinking about sexual ethics um, was like a list of do's and don'ts, right? Mm -hmm. This is yes, this is no, right? And no was like anything queer, you know, anything pleasure oriented before yeah. marriage, anything like that, right? Or outside of marriage or outside yeah, of and and some in some instances, like even I had a I had a. Uh... A Bible study leader who was a teacher at my high school and she tried to say that even within the context of a monogamous relationship there were still things that you're not allowed to do sexually like yeah, it's a pretty pervasive puritanical take on things right 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 so like it's very much like this list of you know yes and no is the mm -hmm. way that the, the purity culture sexual ethic is structured um and so one thing that some I would say um you know maybe like liberal Christians or maybe um folks who have tried to leave that world have done is be like, let's move more things from the no list to the yes list. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have this list of like, there's yes and there's no. And we know that like this no is unrealistic, not life-giving, honestly, very harmful. Right. Death dealing even. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's expand so that the no's are less and the yeses are more. And um, the problem with that is that it's still maintaining this um, oppressive structure, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we still have this sort of mental list of like yeses and nos, and we just kind of like scooted some. Yeah, 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 yeah. Direction. Um, but what I would propose, and you know, this isn't a fully formed thought because a lot of us are sort of just like still thinking about still all this. Still waiting it out, yeah. Yeah, so I'd love to hear like what you think about it, but yeah. what I would like to propose instead of like a yes list and a no list, and we kind of like tick things back and forth, is more like an image of like a fountain right? Mm -hmm. And in the center of the fountain are these values or these pillars of things mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that we can agree are important, such as consent, mm -hmm. bodily autonomy, respect, mm -hmm. um, keeping of promises, whatever that mm -hmm. means, you know, yeah. th those sort of things, um, or integrity, mm -hmm. um, those sort of things can be like the center of the fountain. And then mm -hmm. all of our actions and our thoughts can try to like flow out of that, Right. So instead of like a yes list or a no list, it's 
let's center ourselves in these values Mm -hmm. and then let's try our best to make our decisions um, and live our lives sort of flowing out of that. Um, And then that leaves a little bit of room for us to say, what's good for me now might not be good for me later. Right, right. Um, but I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. So I, I'm a verbal processor and I haven't had a conversation about this yet because like I wanted to do the conversation because I'm a weirdo. I wanted to do this incredibly personal conversation on live video. Um, <laughs> but I like that. I like that switch in that model of understanding from a binary, which first of all, binaries suck death to binaries. Like they're just not bi- binaries are not biologically supported in any way shape or form and so that plays out even you know even further than biology into our ideology right things are not black or white almost ever unless they're a black or white crayon because even black or white light we're talking about a combination of colors um (laughs) so i like but that for me that model of thinking about it really gives a much better context when we're talking about sexual ethic because like i believe that some i believe that sex is important Mm-hmm. And it is spiritual, it mm-hmm. meaning that it touches on something that's more than tangible, right? Tangible right. and basically in the case of sex. And I love the idea of creating a wealth of, of, of value. Um, and then and then like all of what comes through is filtered through that and can can shoot up into this big, awesome array of experiences. And I think that that would that model even just changing that model that structure in our brains if people could switch that structure i think that that would allow them some freedom you know yeah yeah because i think um for some of us who were socialized under these like really harsh binaries even when our ideology changes it's still like written in our bones a little bit yeah yeah it hurts us you know so um so i just i like me i need to like live into that um, imagery more mm-hmm. too, because it just makes more space. Um, and it's still, it's still, you know, we, what we don't want is this vacuum where it's like, this is like, you know, what maybe conservatives would say of like, Oh, anything goes, you all just want to be able to do whatever you want. And it's right. Like, oh, right. You know, maybe I think that some of the things that you think are a problem are clearly not a problem, Yeah. but I actually don't think that anything goes like, yeah. I think people need to be safe. Um, and people need to, people who are vulnerable need to be protected. Mm -hmm. I think people should leave experiences feeling good and Mm -hmm. affirmed, right? Like there's a lot of things, like, I don't just think, um, and, but the details of what what that means are, you know, really different for different people. So, um, so yeah, I think having some sort of way to talk about like, how do we make these decisions? And I really like when your definition of spirituality is sort of like, the intangible. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I talk about a lot is um, the way that Western Christianity has done this really violent thing, which is to sort of amputate our spirituality from our bodies. So it's again this false binary, right? Which is um, not scriptural and no. not not um, you know the way that like Jesus thought about about spirituality. Um, And honestly, like, um, for those of us who are Christians, like I base a lot of my theology on the doctrine of the incarnation, which is like a very orthodox Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. which basically says that, like, we believe that God became human in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is hundred percent divine and hundred percent human. You can't believe in this foundational doctrine and think bodies, bad, evil, dirty, wrong spirit, good. And they're somehow yeah. separate because Jesus was both of those things. Yeah. Jesus having a body didn't make him less good. Yeah. Jesus having a body didn't make him like dirty, sinful or wrong. Right. You know, what's crazy is that so much of what like, I was actually doing some reading for my Hebrew Bible uh, class last night, and, and we were talking about, uh, they were talking about like how when, um, during a particular translation of the Bible, when they brought more into focus, like the words uh, and actions of Jesus, like that people started referring to it as communist. And like anytime that you try to take an action that Jesus prescribed in the gospels, you're automatically labeled as socialist. Like I have, I'm coming to this funny realization that most Christians don't fucking like Jesus. Like right. they just don't they don't like the embodiment of divinity scares them because right. uh, it requires critical thinking because if jesus was a human that had sex organs which even if you don't necessarily believe in the divinity of jesus if you just believe in jesus as a prophet or jesus as a good uh, model for morality yeah. jesus was still a person with sex organs like right. jesus had morning wood like i don't know 
how, how do you want to deal with that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, for me, at least the more, so my, I was traumatized by the abuse, which separates, you know, sort of body and spirit or like makes people feel for me, at least I'll speak for myself, but it's also like a common um, experience mm -hmm. that people name when they talk about sexual abuse and trauma is I felt really like my body was the enemy. Like there was something wrong with me. Like my body had betrayed me. And for those of us um, who occupy marginalized identities, whether it's, you know, we're LGBTQIA plus or we're people of color or, you know, both or, um, all of the above or disabled or fat or all these different things where society spends so much time telling us that our bodies are the wrong kind of body. Mm -hmm. We get this sort of really violent, um, feeling of alienation from our bodies. Yeah. Um, and the healing process, um, for people who know more about trauma. And again, I'm not like a psychologist. I've just, this is part of my like area of study with spirituality. A huge part of healing trauma is sort of the reuniting of the mental or we could also say like emotional or even spiritual maybe. yeah yeah i would posit spiritual for sure yeah, yeah the spiritual and like this sort of tangible right because we mm -hmm. actually aren't met meant to have this like huge division between our, our bodies and our spirits like we are whole human beings and those things are one thing and they're all wrapped up together yeah. and for me the more that i began healing from the sexual abuse that I experienced, but also the spiritual abuse I experienced at the hands of the church, the more that I started healing from that, I started noticing something. And what I noticed was that like the substance mm -hmm. of my spirituality and my sexuality are like almost like the same, it's like water mm -hmm. and H2O. It's like mm -hmm. the same ingredient, right? Mm -hmm. like it's like the same stuff. And so in that way, um, conservative evangelicals have something right, which is that you can't actually divorce spirituality and sexuality and that they actually do influence one another right mm -hmm. or like you say they're both these sort of like intangible things or intangible plus things yes yeah um, these things we can't see but we know or feel are true in some mm -hmm. way that still interact with the physical material world but yeah. they like there's some there's some extra there's like i don't know add a little spice right like there's yeah. something else right this x factor um and so there's things that we can do um to support this reunification of, of body and spirit um, in a way that promotes healing. And one of them are probably the most important one, obviously, is like get yourself some therapy. Like yeah. some people really love EMDR. Um, but some of these trauma therapists also say, you know, these other things I'm about to name are not supplements for like therapy or some people like meds support that. Flash a disclaimer on the screen here. Yeah. Neither yeah. of us has psychiatry degrees. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, but they are the sort of things that are like supportive. Like when you're already doing that other mm -hmm. stuff, like you're doing therapy, you maybe have, you know, like meds if you need them mm -hmm. or all that kind of like professional support. Mm -hmm. These other things can really support you in your healing. And it's activities that connect body and spirit or body and mind or body. Yes. And mind. So there's some that, you know, create these neural pathways um, a lot of times it's like bilateral movements are one of them. So people who like running, running, yeah. can be, if you like think about your problems while you're running, it's like, oh, it helps you process them. Um, drum circles are another one. Um, but what I would say is as a person, a part of a liturgical tradition, um, in our church, in worship, our spirituality is supposed to be embodied, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to hear the trickle of the water in the baptismal font. Yes. We're supposed to like smell the communion bread and taste the wine. And we stand up if we're people who can stand up and we sit down and it's supposed to be participatory where we're like engaging spiritually, but we're, that also means engaging our bodies. Mm -hmm. so I would posit that if the church would get its act together, it could really, instead of being a, a, you know, this trauma factory where we hurt each other, it could really be a, a place, a site of, um, you know, supporting healing. It could really fit this sort of like niche thing where it's yeah. like, yeah, we're actually about, um, the goodness of bodies. Cause God thinks our bodies are good and uh -huh. God has a body. And we're like yeah. about that yeah. and we're about healing and we're about connecting those things and not violently separating them. So, yeah, it's so true. I was, as, as you were talking about that, I I've done EMDR therapy for some trauma in my own life. Um, you don't really come out of, you don't really come out of evangelicalism as a lesbian and then as a trans non-binary person without 
trauma and that was just the start of it you know but one of the things is there is a constant ground regrounding and a reconnection and, and rebuilding those neural pathways like you mentioned where you're intentionally like you're tapping as you're thinking or you're you're actively feeling your body in the presence that it's in you're feeling the weight of your body you're feeling the chair that you're sitting in you're feeling the air that's blowing on you and it's a re uh it's, it's like a reintegration of your spiritual emotional intangible you know faculties with your your tangible ones because really part of part of surviving trauma is disassociating when you're experiencing trauma because it's safer for your brain to to turn off and i mean sometimes people with trauma even like they once you start to work through your trauma, you can recover memories that you didn't know you had because your brain had shut off to the details. And I do think that I think it's been a really damaging part of of um, kind of purity culture to separate yourselves from your bodily functions and to automatically name them as evil. Um, that's something that was really that was really a turning point for me in my sort of deconstruction from evangelicalism to whatever I am called now, you know what I mean? Like a seminarian, I don't know. That's the closest thing I have to religion, like to, yeah. to name it. But um, yeah, there's like a, there's a, a process by which you've got to move beyond that into a greater understanding. And, and you've got to start to see yourself as fundamentally okay, because you are a sexual being. You can be asexual, but you still are like, you still have some level of sexuality attached to you as a human right. being. Right. That doesn't make you bad. Right? Exactly. Like so let's talk, you mentioned queer theology, and I would love to talk like, let's talk queer theology in terms of sexual ethic, because as a queer person, um, some of my greatest, most holy experiences, and I'm saying it, and I don't care who comes for me have been on the floor sitting at a drag show watching someone who appears to be naked but is obviously not naked because they were you know they they physically identify as male outside of drag but then they're on stage and i'm like that is not that person is not male and that i'm describing a particular moment and i can smell it and i can taste it and i can hear the music and that was the first time i felt like that was one of the first experiences I had with divinity after I came out. There was a long dry spell. So as a queer person, I have to hear your take on some of this too. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, I think what I would say, um, and one of the reasons that I love teaching queer theology and queer biblical interpretation to children is that, um, you know, I think so often as LGBTQI plus people, we are used to accepting scraps from the church and like anytime that someone's not like actively stoning us we're like oh thank you sir my have, <laughs> have some more yes. like it's it's sad right like we're so used to just getting these scraps yeah. and what i've been um repeating to myself so that i can start believing it and i've started telling churches this is that um actually you need us more than we need you and that's because lgbtqi plus people are a gift to the church and mm. obviously our community is so diverse like there's so many different experiences mm -hmm. but there are some um I don't know, like a, a thread through queer culture that I think the church could learn a lot from, right? And mm -hmm. um, when I talk about that, that's one of the reasons I like to teach it to kids because mm -hmm. I hate this idea um, that many of us were raised with that there's one way to read scripture and that somehow there's like some one objective way. We know that's not true. And in mainline places and even progressive places, we might name that. And we might even bring in a few different perspectives, but it's very, very rare. I actually don't know really any places. I, I know they exist. I'm sure there's a few, but it's very rare right. that, it, that one of the perspectives actively brought before children is, you know, queer theology, queer biblical interpretation. Um, and what I think um, some of the things that queer theology and queer biblical interpretation have to offer for children and for all Christians um, mm -hmm. is the uh, act of like transgression and mm -hmm. subversion, right? Mm -hmm. LGBTQIA plus people just by like living and existing, like in our very cells, we're like breaking the rules, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And um, that gives us some kinship with God who is frequently like breaking all the rules, especially for those of us who are Christian. We talk about Jesus Christ, um, even the doctrine of the incarnation, like broke these rules that we thought about like God far away, spirit mm -hmm. and humans down here in skin. Yeah. Like, Jesus broke those rules um, for those of us who believe in Jesus's divinity. And um, then of course, like Jesus and his actions was always breaking rules. He was yeah. like, you know, doing, um, you know, overturning temples is like the famous one, but there's other stuff too, you know, there's all these like subtle digs. He, he was very strategic and, and funny about it, but there's all these like digs at empire, right? So Jesus oh, is like yeah. the rules. 
Yeah. Jesus was anti-establishment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, or like, I mean, sometimes I'm also like, or he was like so deeply rooted in the establishment that he was like, you know, connected to mm-hmm. like the source of like the ancientness of like how mm-hmm. it should be, you know, or something. I don't know. But that's like but because the establishment frequently departs so much from like original values and, and story still kind of anti-establishment, but so Jesus was this like rebel radical. He was crucified as an enemy of the state, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so Jesus breaks all the rules. So those of us who are LGBTQIA plus, we know something about transgression and we know mm-hmm. something about breaking boundaries or like um, subverting expectations. We know something about subversion. We know something about resistance and that theology can inform us. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's a gift to the church for the people who have spent yeah. most of their lives playing by the rules or don't even realize that there's rules that they're playing by because it, they've just accepted it. Some of us don't have that luxury. And so we can, we can teach, right? There's something that um, you can, you can learn from LGBTQI plus people about that. Yeah. When you were telling me that drag story, I was thinking about um, my, one of my favorite theologians is uh, Marcellus Althaus-Reed, which maybe you know her, yeah. but um, she talks about Jesus as God in drag. And I just love that image, right? I like it. I love it. Um, because it's, because drag is like telling us the truth about, we'll say gender mm-hmm. by like subverting gender. And then also like, like overplaying gender almost, yeah. right? Like it's like, it's camp, it's whatever. And so thinking of Jesus in that way of like, Jesus is teaching us something about God and also something about humanity by like taking on, um, you know, being a human being yeah. and we can just think of like, yeah, God with skin is teaching us something. And what is, what does that mean? What is, mm-hmm. what is God teaching us? Mm-hmm. And the, the drag example is just like, so, so great. And then the other, um, the other sort of value that I think about a lot with LGBTQIA plus people in the church and queer theology and queer biblical interpretation is that there's a level of, um, playfulness in our yes. culture yes. and with the text. So for a lot of people, they see the Bible and they're like, Whoo, can't touch that. Can't push back. Can't interact. Um, and there's people who can't, right. Because they've been so traumatized. They're just like, I just got to get out. And I always say that leaving, um, unhealthy situations, if that's what you need to do is always a faithful option. You don't have to come back if that's not good for your healing. Um, but for some of us who stayed or some of us who came back, we figured out like a different relationship with scripture. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of scripture. Like I read these stories, like these are people that I know and Mm -hmm. I like imagine them and I'm like, Hmm, what conversations would we have? And there's this level of push and pull. And then, you know, a little bit of subversion that turns into playfulness, really similar to the sort of like drag or camp, yeah. right? Yeah. So when I, I read biblical um, characters, like, let's say Rebecca, mm-hmm. I read Rebecca, I'm like, oh, that girl's bisexual. That girl is so bisexual. You know why? Because she, um, she had this nurse named nurse named Deborah, uh-huh. who's like the only slave that's like named and she like lives with her her whole life and like buries her. But then she also has this, like, you know, her, her husband, Isaac and, um, like reading about Rebecca, like, you're like, I know what's up. Yeah, I see, like, I see I you. Feel, I know that feel. And there's even a little bit of, um, this gets like pretty deep into by subculture. So like, you know, we can, we can also depart, but I will just say there's these stories um, where Isaac is like passing through and a King sees Rebecca because she's like hot as hell. Mm-hmm. He's like, Ooh, I want this one. And Isaac pretends um, that Rebecca's like his sister. Right. And like hands her over, which is shitty. Um, shitty. <laughs> but when the King finds out actually that she's got a man, like she's married, he's like, Oh no, like I can't, I can't do that. And it reminds me a lot of, um, in bisexuality, especially for women, a lot of us experience this thing called like unicorn hunters, right. Where there's Mm -hmm. like, um, people who like want, who basically like, um, hunt is the word, right. Like prey upon bisexual women in like an exploitative way. Right. Like, um, to be like, Oh, I want this kind of person who's basically like a sex toy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, there's frequently this, this thing called the one penis policy, which is also like a very transphobic policy, right? Yeah. So, but, and, and biphobic as hell. So it's like this idea of, oh, this woman can fuck this person with a penis, this mm-hmm. cis man, um, and I can fuck multiple women or this other woman can fuck this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but one penis policy, right? Because, yep. um, you know, patriarchy and like- Patriarchy, the, exactly. Right, like the, the low key sense of like ownership over women. And then also- 
purity cultures in there because it's the idea of women being sort of like defiled exactly. or dirty if then like there's more than one dick involved or something. Exactly. So I yeah. hear the story of Rebecca and the king being like just fine, basically just snatching and exploiting this woman. But then as soon as there's he's aware there's you know more than one penis involved, he's like, whoa. Uh, right. Not gay, bro. Right. So it's like, you know, um it's clearly, you know, unicorn hunting and um, you know, the one penis policy in that same way were not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like when yeah. Rebecca was so it's not like I'm saying, oh, that's what was really going on in the story. What I'm saying is me now today as a bisexual woman with certain experiences mm -hmm. can look at scripture and say, Oh, this seems really familiar. Yep. Yeah, I've I've seen this somewhere before. Right. And that level of um, I mean, it's like a little bit of audacious familiarity, but also mm -hmm. this ability to be playful and creative mm -hmm. that's rooted in, in queer culture. And yeah. so I think there's, I mean, we could go on forever. And if you, um, maybe you've already read this book, but maybe your listeners haven't, if you want to read, uh, Liz Edmond has a book called Queer Virtue, which talks about the gifts that LGBTQIA plus people bring to the church. Mm -hmm. um, we're not a liability, we're a gift. Uh, I love that. More than we need you. Um, so there's so many I can mention, but that's just like a few, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I might have you send me a list of some so I can put them in the show notes because I'm too engaged in this conversation to take notes right now. Sure. Yeah, 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 no <laughs> I problem. love uh, one thing that I've noticed as a non-binary person. Well, I, so I, I came out as lesbian and then I later came out as trans and then I later understood it to be understood myself to be non-binary. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the term that most closely describes how I feel from what I've read is two spirit. And I don't say that I, I live really in really close proximity to um, the only city in America that coexists with a, a Native American reservation, Salamanca, New York. Uh, so I, I'm very careful to not say two spirited lightly because I don't want to be culturally appropriating. But when I've read about it, there is a sense of like divinity imbued with mm -hmm. within these people that that transcend and transgress and 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 go beyond in a lot of ways the gender binary. And so for me, like there's a divinity in the experience of being non-binary. So I say two-spirited to say that but i that is a very long preamble um promise i'm going somewhere with it but i think that that being non-binary has really opened my eyes to a lot of different characteristics of divinity too because people want to clap back about people being lgbtq which hit for hit bro i did this on the channel earlier a couple of months ago i'll do it again anytime i will take any transphobic sermon and i will hit for hit prove to you why it's a steaming pile of shit, and i'll make a youtube video of it and i'll tag you in it but um i i think that you know, people want to clap back at this experience of being transgender or being non-binary and say, well, you know, they didn't have that back in the whatever, whatever day. And I was like, bullshit, there were eunuchs in the Bible. And there were, you know what I mean? And they were holy people that tended the temple. Like, get out of here, bro. Not only did we exist, but we owned, you know what I'm saying? And like, there's a certain amount of sass that comes with being a queer person, a certain amount of sass that I've learned to allow myself to embrace. Finally, now that I have a beard, I can embrace fat, sassy femininity. I, don't ask me why it just happened that way but i i learned so much about god in that experience because of that playful creative sense that i can like i can be co-creative with god yeah. in my expression of my gender yeah yeah that for me has been fantastic i think that is so great yeah when you were talking about um you know the term two-spirit what i heard you saying was like you know, this is a, this is a identity that's, you know, rooted in, in indigenous spirituality. So like mm -hmm. those of us who are indigenous, like it's not really like that, but what we see in the understanding of the two-spirit identity for indigenous people is a level of understanding, like the, the spirituality involved, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes, unless we're like really looking for it, a lot of us, like we don't find that explanation yes. in other places, right? Like we don't find, um, acknowledgement of the holy not like despite being non-binary or bi or whatever yeah but because right but like because of yeah. yeah not like it's not like our identities are this um liability to get over it's mm -hmm. actually like the bridge you know or yeah the, like this is dope as hell let me tell you what yeah. i learned about divinity because i'm queer come at right. me now like right. i'm not just waiting for scraps to fall off the edge of the table i'm coming to you with a new understanding of theology that you cannot have if you are cisgendered and heterosexual right that yeah. is empowering as hell <laughs> yes. yes yep i think too like um you know i'm 
I am cis, but as like a, a bi person, I like identify a lot with this idea of like, um, there's these categories or rules or boxes that we're supposed mm-hmm. to be in these choices we're supposed to make that are false choices. They're false right. dichotomies or false binaries. And obviously I don't embody or like understand that on, on the same level as someone who's also experiencing that with gender, right. but a big part of a lot of the research and work that I do is exploring that it's talking mm-hmm. about what ways do I better know and understand God? Which ways do I have a special kinship with God because of my identity? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, break these expectations of the way that sexuality or or for you also, you know, gender Mm -hmm. operate in society. Um, And yeah, I I think that there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of gifts that we bring. Yeah. And I think that, and like all of this is so connected because sex and and gender and orientation and gender presentation and gender identity are all different parts of the spectrum. If you don't understand that listeners come back at another time, because there's a whole nother window podcast. Well, I'll take you through the gender bread man, but um, there's, there's an aspect of all of this that is innately tied to sexuality, right? Because I think that it, you know, I think we've very clearly laid out, obviously, in a non-scholarly format, but in an informal format, we've laid out the fact that there is a strong case to be made about experiencing divinity in areas that have we previously been told you can't learn about God from there. But what if we understood something more about divinity, about transcendence, about the the mysteries of the universe because of our sexuality like what if we embodied that and we embraced that and instead of being scared we were like yo what can i learn from uh like let's i'm going to throw something out that's outside of my context like what could i learn from a loving consensual um safe polyamorous relationship I personally feel kind of, I feel hardwired to be monogamous. I've really thought it out because like when you're a queer and a Christian, you got to think everything out. There's no more free passes, but um, like, I personally don't feel polyamorous, but what could I learn perhaps? And I don't know, this is a, this is a a verbal process, but what could I learn from a relationship that holds space for multiple partners while still having depth and consent? and safety and meaning like is there something i can learn and i think those are that's the vanguard that we need to push into to really let ourselves not be so truncated anymore you know yeah yeah so it's it's one of those things of you know when um oppressed people are liberated we're all liberated right so um that's true also for race that's true for um you know ableism and all these other Mm -hmm. all these other forms of oppression um that we experience but when we learn more about like the the holiness of LGBTQIA plus people, it doesn't only liberate LGBTQIA plus people, it actually liberates everyone because mm-hmm. um, actually, even though there are these rules that um, the cishets put in place, none of you are following them. <laughs> like literally none of you, none of you fit into the gender binary, right? Like, nope. none, of you, none of you do. Um, no, because so, it's fake. <laughs> Because it's fake and and it's it's just like, yeah, it's just harmful. It's just, it's limiting. So it's diminishing and reduction redactionary to like, you don't have to shrink yourself to fit into a one more flower covered devotional. Like I used to always joke about that before I even had any understanding that I was trans. I was like, if I get one more flower covered devotional book, I'm going to vomit. You know what I mean? Like that's so reductionary. And, um, I don't know if you've read Kristen Dumas book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Um, it's, uh, it's dope. The subtitle is how the even or how white evangelicalism, uh, corrupted a faith and fractured a nation dope as hell bro i had her on the podcast a couple weeks ago oh i had like a a brain crush you know what i mean but she talks in there about the ways in which the the uh, specifically american evangelical church has manipulated and controlled and uh and kind of dealt with gender uh, so as to maintain these sort of identities that because it because it's scary if we if we're free from them what could happen they can't control us anymore they can't buy our votes they can't sell us books because they don't know what books to write you know what i mean right. it's mm-hmm. wild you got to read that book it is so good i i messaged her and i was like dude this is like my whole childhood laid out in a book yeah, <laughs> yeah and i think too you know um as someone who's part of a mainline tradition um i want to name this too is we frequently and and i think rightfully talk about evangelicalism right mm-hmm. 
um, and the way that evangelicalism perpetuates this harm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that's like a very particular way. Yeah. Yeah. Very influential. So I'm not at all diminishing that as a mainliner. I also think, um, typically the mainline church's response to gender and sexuality has been just silence, right? Yes. So that's also harmful and sinful because then it leaves people to figure things out for themselves Mm. without Mm. any guidance. Um, Mm. And then what they hear is the loudest voice, which is frequently, you know, this like purity culture stuff. Um, Or the anything goes voice either. Like it's opposite ends, but it's still, there's no integration in either of those mindsets. There's no critical thinking. uh, And that is where we start to lose shit. We're not thinking critically about our own experiences with our own bodies we're 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 just we're divorced from that experience you know i would even argue that they're they're not even opposite sides of the same coin they're like different expressions of like same Mm. side of the coin right Mm -hmm. like sometimes um this is sort of similar related but like you know slightly slightly different but sometimes people talk about um objectification we'll say of women right Mm -hmm. talk about um, hypersexualization and objectification is of women. And they put that as opposite of purity culture, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, says like, no yeah, sex, yeah. no sexiness, whatever, be modest, whatever that means. And so some people act like those are two opposite things, but actually like they're the same thing. They're both objectifying women because they're reducing women, other genders too, but you know, in, the target is frequently women. Yeah, particularly cisgender Re- women. Yes, yes. Reducing women to, um, objects yes like filter through the male gaze like mm-hmm. what can we do for men mm-hmm. you know it's and it's um either that's like you know be in bikinis and eat um hamburgers or whatever mm-hmm. on, on advertisements or that's also um save yourself for marriage yes. right in a way that's not a choice for your that you're making for yourself but that's put on you um because your body belongs to your husband right like those two things seem opposite one is like boobies all over the place and one is like totally locked down but the fact of the matter is they're the same thing because it's both reducing women to objects that exist for the pleasure of men like in either case you're still the hershey's kiss right but the but the the way that the world is treating you and the way that you are expected to engage in the world the weight still falls solely on the shoulders of the female to be responsible for however the males view them i think i think to be honest to be on gut level honest the the establishment has always been ter- terrified of women and in particular marginalized women because they knew their ass was going to get handed to them if they gave the women any amount of power and control. I'm just calling it out. And this is from someone who was socialized as a female. My first 25, six years um, were spent living as um, a female, albeit a sh- shitty. Like I was just never good at being exclusively female, but I was socialized to be female. You're like but, a spy, right? I mean, I am. That might be be a title in the book like i'm like a gender spy because even now like dudes are like hey bro what's good and i'm like dude i don't fucking know what you're saying man like i I spotted you at the gym one time like i made sure the barbell didn't fall on your neck and now i'm in your groom's party like i don't know what to do here yeah yeah i think too um i'll speak also as like a i think of myself as a high fan like i'm like super fan right um the which I'm just gonna name the pandemic has been. Please check on your fan friends. I can't get my, I can't get my eyelashes filled. I don't have my acrylics on. Like this is the first time since I was like. I've got roots. Oh my God. Ella's had the hardest time. She's like, I need. She put on heels for an online training the other day because she just needed to wear heels. It's just. It's just. Oh my gosh. So. Check on your fem friends. Check <laughs> on your fem friends, please. You're not okay. Um, but I've had to do a lot of, like you said, if you're, you know, if you're um, a person of faith and mm-hmm. also LGBTQI plus, you have to just think about everything. And I've done so much thinking about um, my gender presentation as mm-hmm. a high femme to be mm-hmm. like, huh, is this like these things that I'm doing? Is this because of the male gaze? Mm-hmm. Like. Is this because I want to? Is it some combination? Can mm-hmm. we even know? We don't exist in a vacuum, whatever. But something I love um, about being a femme who is also queer mm-hmm. is this, well, femmes are, femme is an inherently queer term, right? right? right like right. feminine is different than femme. But so, mm-hmm. but uh, something I love about being a femme is that like these things belong to me for me, that mm-hmm. like 
regardless of who my partner is. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, maybe like my understanding of like what's fun or sexy or fashionable is probably still influenced obviously by the male gaze. Cause we don't live in a vacuum. Like I'm mm -hmm. not trying to pretend this is like choose your choice feminism and nothing, um, right nothing's affected by anything or something right. or that all choices are inherently empowering. And at the same time, it's, it's still like, regardless of who my partner is, like my aesthetic doesn't, you know, hasn't really changed. Like this mm -hmm. is just, I love my heels. I love my eyelashes. I love all that stuff. Yeah. So there's something to be said about, um, again, this like subversion of like, maybe you look at me and you're like, Oh, you've got your long hair and makeup or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, yeah, actually, it's not for you, though. It's so. not for you. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love that about uh, about my wife, Elle. I honestly feel like you guys need to have drinks together because I, I feel like you that. would, it would be a fucking vibe between yeah. you guys. But she literally says all the time, like, if people comment, like, oh, you are too much makeup, she's like, okay, I didn't wear it for you, Barbara yeah. or Sam, or, you know what I mean? I didn't wear it for you. I wore it because I oh. feel hot as hell in it. So it definitely happens. Um, this definitely happens like even in progressive spaces. I was in a progressive church and got told uh, I should wear less lipstick. And um, and this is this is a you know a church that also considers it considered itself LGBTQI plus affirming. And I think in you know in a lot of ways that they were. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not only like sexist, it's also um, it's very rooted in um, cis heterosexism, mm -hmm. also like it's also mm -hmm. queer antagonistic because again. Um, there's part of this, a part of our culture, and it's not like this for everyone, right? right. But like part of our culture is this like level of extraness. Yeah. Like we're too sparkly. It's too much leather. It's too many feathers. It's too much makeup. It's too much, right? And it yeah. doesn't have to be the sort of like, you know, um, you know, white, cis, gay, fabulous thing. Right. There, there's something about us that, again, it's like, if these are like, if this is like the boundary of norms, we're always like, we're like, Beep. Beep. <laughs> so for me, that's like, maybe I wear, two layers of false eyelashes, right? Or like sometimes, you know, when I really feel like I can be myself, I have these like blue feather ones, right? Yes. Like it's just a little extra, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when people are like, could you just be, you should be feminine to be the right kind of woman, but could you just be, your heels should be like three and a half inches, but these six yeah, inch heels are Don't go much, over, yeah. Right? And so that's to me, not only sexist because women, we can't, get anything right like it's right. a double bind no matter what we do we're either frivolous or we're bitchy or yep exactly yep it's not only sexist it's also queer antagonistic because part of that is from this expectation um of of cis het culture of not to be like basically too much mm -hmm. and I'm like, we're all too much right all like, too much i am literally i always say like i am multitudes like that's what i do is be too much like yeah. I, I i exist to be a personification of juxtaposition and and just excess uh in terms of my personality you know what i mean the number one um like word that people use to describe me is intense and i think usually it's an insult. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're just a little, in, you know, sometimes it's like them telling me to tone it down. Right. I'm like, I'm like, sis, this is me toned down. I know this is, this is, this is like daytime drag here. This yeah, is not this night is, drag. Like this is me like keeping my head down. <laughs> like this is me. Um, but you know, so a lot of that's intense is like the, the word that, that people use to describe me a lot. And I've heard actually from a lot of other LGBTQI plus people. And, you know, also just even, you know, there's, that that falls also like there's intersections of race with that too right like absolutely black women like angry black women right mm -hmm. it's a way of saying they're too intense right and it's it's all about centering a norm around mm -hmm. a certain kind of presentation communication style whatever that centers whiteness yep. centers abled centers um dudes and yep. cishets and all these things right centers yeah. um, you know people with money yeah. so yeah, like it centers a lot of things that have already occupied the centers, so we're over them, right? I've been referring recently in my like writings and preaching and such lately, I've been referring to like a centrifugal force that I find in the gospel when I read it over and over again. And by centrifugal force, I, I used, I was preaching for the first time at the church that's like overseeing my sponsoring my ordination, right? Um, well, first of all, back up a couple days before i was preaching for the first time at my rural country church i decided to get a face tattoo so it says a lot about my amount of excess in daily life 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I was referring to the centrifugal force of the gospels that by, by that, I mean that, you know, the positioning of Jesus in society as a poor person was intentional. And so if you really take the gospel seriously, you will find yourself pulled outwards towards the margins, much like you do when you're on the Gravitron at the county fair, right? Yeah. And ho- hopefully you can avoid the puke, but you find a lot of good stuff when you're sucked back against the walls there. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, I, I have to wrap this up, which is just terribly unfortunate because I'm really, I'm having a moment here. Um, but I would love to kind of just, just point out or, or highlight or illuminate the idea behind all this conversation. So I'm going to offer what my summary of it would be in terms of sexual ethic and sexuality and spirituality. And then I'd love to hear like your kind of thoughts. Like if you could, if you could, if you could sum up what we said with one thing, which is not what we do because we're people of queer excess, but, um, (laughs) I think the thing for me that I'm even more coming around to the centrifugal force is pulling me towards this in our conversation is that there is an innate beauty and spirituality in a fully expressed understanding of sexuality. And you can both have a fountain, a foundation of of things that you know to be true and to believe and a guiding force in your life, but also it can function as a fountain, like you said, and not as, um, you know, guardrails on the side of the road to keep us from going over the edge. Yeah, I love that. I also love the fountain imagery because um, fountains are water, right? Yeah. So, um, water is like life-giving and, mm-hmm. and necessary for life too. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good Cliff Notes summary. <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> I know it's like you've done this before or something, but um, <laughs> I think also the other like big point that, you know, if people are going to take a takeaway that I would like to just name again is- yeah the idea that LGBTQI plus people have something proprietary to offer spiritually um, and that our perspectives, um, you know, again, the church isn't doing us a favor by like no. running the bone, uh, yeah. that our perspectives are needed and wanted um, and cared about by yeah. many people and by God and that are necessary for liberation. And so um, I, I say that a lot because I just feel like we, those of us, especially, and the church needs to hear it. And also we need to hear it because we're so used to just, it's so, the, the, the wounds are so deep. So yeah, that was, it was actually, I, I've, I've long thought that, right. But I've never heard that said back to me. So on a personal note, that was very healing and restorative because especially, you know, in a journey towards seminary, which I've felt called to be a pastor since I was five, I don't even know if I believe in how church functions currently. Like I said before, I think the church needs to move forward, but I still can't shape this pesky desire to be a pastor. And I still haven't heard that level of affirmation of my queer identity yet like i'm preparing to go into a situation to go before a committee that has to approve me to go into ministry and i have to be prepared to defend my queer identity and to say not only like should you choose me in spite of this you should choose me because of this because y'all don't even know what you're missing if you don't get that perspective so that was really healing and restorative for me to hear on a personal level so absolutely well, I think we have to do this again for sure because there's there's like 75 rabbit trails we could have taken and we didn't even get to like half of the queer shit. We didn't even get to the into like racial conversations which are so incredibly necessary. I, I was thinking maybe um maybe if we do decide to do this again, we could do it. Uh, I could share about the book because I basically I think it's the title and I didn't at all talk about like uh, yeah. Like you can go on my website, ldow.com. You can learn a little bit more about it, but, um, you know, like that would be fun to do too. And that would be a totally different rabbit hole that we could go down to. And I I would love to do that. So yeah, let's do that. As soon as I end our conversation today, I'm going to shoot you a message and I'm going to say, when's a good date for you that we can record. And then I'm going to have you drop me a list of resources that we can put in the show notes. Okay. Um, so you guys heard it here first, you're going to get another conversation of just sass times two, right? You get high femme sass, you get super gender fluid sass you get all of that with a little bit a little side of liturgy a large side of seminary and probably some serious sarcasm so um i'm gonna have l one more time before we go if you can just list where people can find you your social media names handles anything like that drop the title of your book and um and then we'll and then we'll say goodbye okay yep so um on social media you can find me on snapchat instagram and twitter at 
how now brown dowd. All right. Um, kind of like, you know, how now brown cow, but it's dowd instead of cow because I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah. My, my name before I was married, my last name before I married, was married was Brown. So how oh, now brown. Um, and then on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash L dowd ministry. And mm-hmm. then you can find me at TikTok under L dowd ministry. And then if you go to my website, ldowd.com, you can find all kinds of stuff, sermons and uh, opportunities to collaborate and places where you can see where I'm speaking next. And um, the name of my book, which is available for pre-order through the publisher Broadleaf, but also through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, I loved your eye roll for Amazon. I got it. It's, you know, um, Skeletor's, my friend, uh, my friend has this like really funny name for the, it's like Skeletor's online hell box of horrors or something. You know, I like some like, but hey, you know, whatever. Well, uh, you can't fight the establishment all the time or you can fight it, but sometimes you still got to live with it. Well, so. and there's a certain level of, this is a whole other thing we could talk about, but there's a certain level of the way that um, systemic evil operates by making us think it's our individual choices that are the problem as opposed to the people with power who are like, you know, Jeff Bezos is a problem, not poor people in a pandemic using Amazon. Anyway, you can get it <laughs> on Amazon, you can get it on Barnes & Noble, you can get it from the publisher. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's called Baptized in Tear Gas from White Moderate to Abolitionist. I'm incredible. Like I, I literally hit the pre-order button right away. So let's plan a, let's plan a date to talk about that maybe closer to the launch or right after or something like that because I'm very excited to read this book. Uh, even more excited to talk to you again. I have to say such a sincere thank you for coming on. I have been fangirling over your work because I'm a nerdy seminarian who also fangirls over other progressive seminarians. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I say a lot, but it's like, this is like, the, the work that we do that people who like are public facing in the church is, is like the definition of like big fish, small pond, like the five people who care are like really care, but like literally no one else cares. Yeah. No one else knows. Everyone is like, Oh, whatever. You're just talking about some church bullshit. Like right, 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 right. Like, I have close, I have close friends that are like, what, why I can't even talk about church. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, you're missing my whole fucking calling, but okay. We can pretend to be friends. <laughs> Well, I love it so much. You are a doll. I love your lashes. I love your excess. I can't wait to speak to you again. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you have a great day. Everybody who's listened, listened to, I guess, everybody who's been on with this, thank you so much. You can find out more about conversations by going to conversationsofficial.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you look up Conversations Official on all of those, you'll find that. Um, You can find our blog on uh, conversationsofficial.com. You can find us on YouTube, and you can find us on Spotify, and now Apple Podcast. All right. I know it's so, it's so sexy now that I finally made it through that process. So everybody have a great day. Elle, you're a doll. We will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.